Hello, everyone. It's good to be able to share today as we celebrate our risen Savior this weekend. Before we begin exploring through our passage, I'm grateful that you've been able to keep connected with our messages each week. It's been fun to be able to see who is tracking with us from around the world. So wherever you are around this planet, thank you for joining us today. I want to mention that for some of you, you might be looking for ways just to get connected relationally uh, during this time. Our leadership team have been making calls to everyone within our church directory. And so if you haven't received a phone call yet and you would like one, please let us know so that we can make sure that happens. If you are tech savvy, we'd also encourage you to join our Zoom group that meets uh, on Sunday mornings from about 10.30 to 12, sorry, 11 to 12.30 for encouragement. They pray together. There's a brief discussion on the passage that was preached that weekend. And if you'd like to get connected that way, just let us know and we can pass on a link to get you uh, that information so that you're connected that way. At this point during this time, we recognize that relationships are important but they don't come naturally, and so we all need to be a little bit more intentional with each other, which requires some extra patience and grace as we all navigate these challenging times together. Well, this morning as we continue our series on Ephesians, last month I, we studied through the chapter 1 of Ephesians. This, mor- this day we are going to be exploring Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10, and I'll be reading from the North American Standard Bible. And this is Paul's writing. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the, lust, in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of of works so that no one can boast, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Well, in the 1860s to the 1970s, modern art became the primary tradition of artistic expression. It was during this era that the world was introduced to artists like Pablo Picasso, Vincent van Gogh, Henry Matisse, and Edvard Munch, and many, many others. These artists transformed the artistic landscape and reframed how art and personal expression was communicated. Through modern art, painters and sculptors communicated personal philosophy on a canvas or a rock to express themselves. Modern art was responsible for dozens of different artistic expressions during this time. One of them was the expression of contrast. One example of contrast is called visional contrast. A good example of this is a soccer ball where you may have white spaces that are offset by black spaces. The idea isn't to highlight one color over another, but instead what it does, it draws our eyes to the whole object, which is the soccer ball. Another example of contrast occurs through negative contrast. 
where artists would use a solid or a, a white background allowing, which would allow the foreground to receive the most attention. It caused that whatever was in front of the background to be enhanced. Now the intent of contrast for artists is usually to compare one thing over one other thing. And that's what Paul is doing here in verses 1 through 10. Now in the first three verses, he's creating a negative contrast in this passage. He's holding up one way of life and creating this backdrop and then comparing it to another with the intention of emphasizing what's happening in the foreground. Paul is using these verses to create this backdrop, this understanding that if, if this negative contrast doesn't exist, then we won't fully appreciate what he's about to express in the next seven verses, in verses, three, verses 4 through 10. We live in a world full of contrast, though, don't we? Good and evil, Coke and Pepsi, hot and cold, light and darkness, Oilers fans and Flames fans. Even this weekend is a weekend of contrast. Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. A day filled with death and defeat contrasted with a day filled with life and victory. Now, the contrast that we see Paul make here through these first 10 verses in chapter 2 is a comparison of what life is like with Christ and what life is like without him. Again, it's a comparison of what life is like with Christ and what life is like without him. In these verses, we see that our posture, our presence, and our practice are all contrasted against one another. Our posture is dead versus alive. Our presence is apart from Christ versus with Christ. Our practice is disobedience versus good works. These verses actually begin to paint a beautiful summary of the entire gospel narrative where we see these passages and we can summarize it with, we were dead because of our choices and separated from Christ. But God's love for us rescued us and we experienced new life in Jesus. Paul tells us in verse 1 that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Now in the original language, this is actually a fairly redundant statement where trespasses and sin basically carry the same meaning. The only distinguishing marker between these two words is that trespasses seems to indicate more of a, more of a lapse in judgment, more kind of spontaneous moments, what's more in the moment. This is important because when we think of trespassing today, we might interpret that language and we often think, well, trespassing onto someone's property isn't a spontaneous thing. That's a willful decision needed, that needs to happen. We don't just accidentally trespass onto someone else's property. But this word trespass in this passage helps to underscore that there are a number of different ways that cause our spiritual death, according to Paul. That God takes our decisions seriously, accidental or intentional. But that these verses actually speak to a larger issue beyond our decisions, and that's our heart. That even though we, may, that we might not make intentional choices that deliberately oppose God, Paul shows us that there is an underlying issue that at the core of who we are, that we all naturally oppose God. It's almost like it's instinctual for us to oppose God. Almost like a dog chases a squirrel. Just naturally we, we long to do it. We desire to do it. Those moments that we get impatient because we have to wait in line at Costco outside six feet apart from one another. 
We understand we shouldn't be impatient and get annoyed, but yet we do it anyways. Or the feeling of self-preservation where we stock up on extra groceries because we just don't know what the future will hold. Or these feelings of fear, of death and poor health and our fear of finances and the economy that keep us up at night after watching the news. These are all reminders and responses that remind us that, that we all have a natural tendency towards a life that isn't life at all, but instead it actually leads to death. No one, after watching the news report, says, well, that was so life-giving. I feel so affirmed and built up as a person into my faith. Instead, it seems lately that we are being pounded with messages of fear and sickness and physical death. And the posture of death seems to be even more pronounced during this time that I'm sure many of us can remember. And that's the backdrop of death, both today that Paul, backdrop of death that both today and when this was written, that Paul uses to contrast these words in verse 25. I'm sorry, in verse 5, where he writes, But God, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. With Christ. This statement, with Christ, is one of three times that we see Paul use it in this passage, where we see the effects of our lives when we are with Christ. In our posture of death, Paul tells us that, that, we, are being together with, that we are being together with Christ makes our posture alive. This is the main verb that Paul is wanting to communicate to us in this passage, that, that our, lives come alive, our lives come alive when we are with Christ. This phrase, alive with Christ, is only one of two spots we see this, this, this statement made in the New Testament. In it, we discover on this Resurrection Sunday that although Christ died on Friday, that he, that he came to life three days later. But not only that, that he actually left the tomb. He appeared to others and was present with the disciples. He overcame death and was with others. It wasn't enough in the eyes of God, to give us this, this awareness of his resurrection. It wasn't enough just to give us this cognitive understanding that Christ is risen from the dead. But instead, it speaks to God's relational character that the first thing Christ did after his resurrection was sought out opportunities to be with the disciples. And that today, on this Resurrection Sunday, we can know and celebrate that life with Christ isn't just an eternal reality, but that it's a present-day reality. That in spite of everything happening around us, Jesus Christ is present with us today. And it's his presence with us that brings us to life. The idea of death and life expressed through Christ's death and resurrection contrasts the idea that not only is an old way of life gone and buried, but that a new kind of life is being experienced through Christ. That in faith, we are choosing to align ourselves with Christ so that we can make his priorities our priorities. Now, that doesn't mean that we stop sinning or make mistakes, but instead it means that we are rescued from it. Again, I'll say that again. It doesn't mean that we stop sinning or that we stop making mistakes, but instead it means that we are rescued from it. Our posture is no longer dead, but instead our posture is alive and active. 
None of us escape physical death. But with Jesus, we can have spiritual life. In Ephesians 2, 2, Paul says that we all walk according to the course of this world. The word Paul uses for the word, for the word world in verse 2 is this idea of the attitude and behavior that rejects and opposes Jesus. Paul says we all have to do it. I think one of the biggest areas that I see this today is in the area of busyness. Where culturally, as this world has come to a grinding halt, many of us have struggled with it. Where there's this internal tension with not being as occupied as we normally are. Where many of us are used to being busy with work or sports activities or church events. And these are all good things. But suddenly we are being contained to our homes with our families and many of us are struggling and have a, having a hard time adjusting to a lifestyle that we aren't used to. Why? Because there's some values in this world that have made it necessary for us to play the game. There's some values in the world that tell us that we need to work harder than everyone else. There are some values in this world that tell, that tell us to put, other, put ourselves ahead of others. There are some values in this world that tell us to set aside the things that are important to satisfy the tyranny of the urgent and the expectations of others. Now, although we wouldn't say that it's a deep longing to busy ourselves, many of us, I think, feel held hostage to it. Where it may not be a desire for busyness, but maybe it's a desire for success or, or acceptance or validation or approval. And that's where this real desire is rooted. You see, it's not usually, it's usually not busyness or overt sin, but, but what if it was the stuff that hides under the surface for many of us that causes us to busy ourselves? It's those desires that Paul tells us actually begin to create distance between us and God. Not physically, but relationally. Where our busyness, the desires under the surface that require our attention because the thought of ignoring it seems unfathomable. Yet what we read here is that because of those desires in our nature makes us targets of God's wrath. That those desires that pull us away from God make us the target of His indignation and punishment. God looked at us and our natural desires to oppose Him and was indignant. He was offended that, that we would oppose him in this way. Yet God's response, even in his own anger with humanity, Paul writes, is mercy. God identified that because of our choices, that we have created distance relationally between us and him. And although he is angry, he responds with sorrow for us. I remember when one of my kids was, was younger, I think it was Abigail, and and it was bedtime, and, and typically at that time, we would have the, the rhythm that we had each, each uh, evening was bath time. We'd read the Bible, we'd pray together, and they would go to sleep. And as they got older, they would think that mom and dad were, some, were somehow conspiring these great plans that were much more, fun, much more fun than going to sleep. So they would sneak downstairs and see what we were up to. One night, though, Abigail was, was bouncing around in her room and just vibrating with excitement from the day. And when I came upstairs, already kind of annoyed that I had to put her to bed for the 37th time, she heard the door opening to her room and she immediately jumped into her bed. Now unfortunately for her, when she jumped into her bed, she managed to smash her toes against the bed frame. 
And we all know that there are very few things that hurt as badly as that moment when you destroy your toes against the corner of a wall or, or a leg of a table. Immediately, Abigail burst into tears and was screaming and crying from the pain of the self-inflicted impact that she had made. Now, I could have stood there in the doorframe and, door, and, and said, well, that's what you get for fooling around. I told you you'd hurt yourself. You brought this on yourself. Now go to bed. Now, I could have, I may have been right in that statement, and it would have felt probably good in that moment. But instead, in my anger, I had to walk over to my daughter, and I had to choose to have sorrow towards her and care for her, saying, okay, it's okay, let's take a look. I know it hurts. Let's, let's just, let's, let me take care of it. I think that's how God looks at us in his anger, where he responds in love and mercy and says, I know you can't help yourself. I know you can't help but hurt yourself. But I'm, I'm going to send my son to receive the wrath that you deserve. Paul writes in verse 8 that it's, by, that it's by grace that you have been saved. That in the midst of the backdrop of self-inflicted pain, in the midst of the backdrop of self-imposed distancing from God, Jesus comes through forgiveness and reconciliation and picks us up and offers us the gift of presence with him through salvation. Where we read that Jesus raised us up and seated us with him. And the idea behind these two concepts in verse 6 is that we are sitting together. Where there's this stark contrast being depicted here where the, desire of the, of the, where the desires of this world demands our busyness and to occupy our minds. But Paul tells us that in verse 6, Jesus invites us to sit with him. I don't know if you've ever had to have, try, have tried to hold a, a wiggling child as they're restless and they just want to go, but you're trying to hold them still. I think that's, that's this picture that I see here. There's this stillness that Jesus invites us to, even though we resist it, even though we're naturally opposed to it, Jesus invites us into a reconciled presence with a merciful Savior and just says, just sit with me. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Although the way of this world is, seems to be busyness and the desires of our heart are often hiding under the surface, Jesus reveals that there is an alternative, that the way of life is through him. That when we choose Jesus, it changes us. It changes how we practice our lives. This change isn't a result of anything that we have done, as Paul makes clear in verses 8 and 9, that it's Jesus at work in us. The good, thing that, the good things that happen in us and through us are contrary to our natural character. The backdrop that Paul creates here is that our natural desires compel us to prioritize ourselves and the practice of our lives is reflected that way. We naturally put ourselves ahead of others. And again, it seems like a pretty harsh indictment on humanity. But I think that Paul is speaking from a deeply personal perspective where he saw in himself a series of choices throughout his life that he thought were good and right. 
but ultimately realized that without Jesus leading his life, that his life was missing something after he realized how full his life was after he met Jesus. Paul continues in verse 10 and says that we are his workmanship. Now the Greek word Paul uses, Paul uses here is poema. Poema. The specific word is where we get the word poem from poema. You can almost, you can kind of hear the word poem. Poema. Poem. Poema. This type of poem or workmanship that God is writing in each of our lives can only be accomplished through the type of, of energy that God can produce. A poem can't write itself or will itself to be a better poem. Instead, it's the poet expressing himself. It's Christ expressing himself through us as his workmanship, as his poem. Paul writes in verse 2 that naturally we walk away, we walk in the way of the world. But it's Jesus' words that draw us back to the reality that he is the way. He is the way that leads to life. He is the way that leads to freedom. He is the way that changes us. I don't know about you, but I don't always feel like a work of art. Maybe one of those pieces of modern art that you don't really know which way is up or down or backwards or forwards, and you, you feel like the exact opposite of a work of art. Can I tell you today that God isn't finished with any of us? He is still writing his poem in our lives. He is still at work in our lives. He is still shaping and moving and correcting and adjusting us every day, every moment. Because of that, as works of art, lives with Jesus probably should look different than those without him. That as we walk in the way of Jesus, in spite of our own limitations, we embrace the work that God wants to do in us and through us. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus wants to write out his story in our lives. And he does that. It changes us and invites others into that same redemption and reconciliation that we have experienced. So I want to offer a couple of ways that maybe we can set ourselves apart as, as God's poem, as God's workmanship. Parents, this is one of the few times in your kids' lives that you, will have to, that you will have this much time with them on a regular. Look back on this season with regret. Wishing that you had done more with them. This is an opportunity that maybe that, that you have right now to be really intentional with them, pouring into them spiritually. Spend time reading scripture together, praying together, inviting and engaging meaningful conversation with them. Kids, teenagers, you need to know that this season isn't easy for your parents. It's a challenge. And there are a lot of things on their minds. Things that you don't need to worry about. But as, we walk in, but as you walk in the way of Jesus, you, you can, some of the ways that you can help out is by just helping out around the house. You can sit down and get your homework done instead of fighting with mom and dad or a sibling. Contributing in some small way. For others, if you can safely do it, write some notes to your immediate neighbors. Let them know that if there's anything that you can do to help them in this time of need, to reach out to you. 
Now, the way of the world is to self-preserve. The way of Jesus is to give ourselves away. Now, if someone reaches out to you after you've invited that and you aren't sure how to help, maybe contact the church. Chat with me and we'll do our best to help out. We'll, talk to, we'll work through that together. But what that does is it, it shows that you notice them. It shows that you care for all of us. It's important that we talk about how we are feeling during this time. It's okay to say you are scared or anxious or angry or doubting God. Honesty helps us to find validation in our feelings. Because we often discover that we aren't alone. And that other people are feeling the same way. Now people say, it doesn't help to complain. It actually does. It's important to be honest with ourselves and others. Because when we are honest, it builds relationship. It builds trust. It builds intimacy. And if there's one thing that will set us apart as people who are with Jesus, it's when we can talk about our feelings and talk about the peace and hope that we have in Jesus Christ because he is with us. No one is asking any of us to be perfect. But what we see from Paul here is that if we claim to be with Christ, it distinguishes us from the world. It makes us different. Christ was resurrected today to set us free. Let's be different in the way that we love this week and live in that freedom. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for the opportunity you give us to be able to uh, reflect on your word. God, we are grateful for your resurrection. It was in this, this weekend that, that transformed uh, humanity. The, the, it transformed eternity. And we are grateful for your love for us. We're thankful for your mercy for us. And that you continue to offer us grace. And God, as, we, as you invite us to, to know you, to follow you, Jesus, I pray that you would help us to, to walk away from our natural desires and walk in your way, Jesus, to choose you today. And Lord, as we, as we contrast our own, uh, our own lives with the lives that you call us into, we know that we fall short. And so God, we ask for your grace in our lives. Would you help us to be able to, to walk in the, the, the liberation that you give us, Jesus? Jesus, we love you and we thank you. We worship you today, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.